ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. After that, when I woke up in the morning, my life was just over in a blink of an eye. I mean, I was somebody with no family history of any illnesses or anything like that. And when I woke up, just within, just within a day, I mean, you don't lose your ability to walk in one day. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 196 with author Catherine Kinlan. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn the importance of finding a Lyme disease support group, how Catherine protected her spirit from wearing down, and how she made peace with who she was as a person sick with Lyme disease. Thank you, Aurora. Be sure to listen to the end of this podcast for the Lyme Ninja Fact of the Day. As you all know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join us from all over the world. This past week we've had listeners from Germany to Algeria and from Poland to Nepal. Also, a big thank you to all you longtime Lyme ninjas. Aurora and I really, really appreciate you tuning in. And we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. We're glad you joined in. And speaking of tuning in, this week's top 10 cities are... Starting at number 10, Polson, Montana. Number 9, Dallas, Texas. Number 8, Yuba City, California. Number 7, Milford, Connecticut. Number 6, Atlanta, Georgia. Number 5, Wayne, New Jersey. Number 4, San Francisco, California. Number 3, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Number 2, Park Rapids, Minnesota. And number 1, West Hartford, Connecticut. Congratulations, West Hartford. And welcome to Montana. <laughs> Do you know your Lyme score? Wait. What? You just welcomed Connecticut to Montana? No. Welcome to Montana. <laughs> welcome to people from Montana who are listening to Lime Ninja Radio. Yes. I'm okay. excited because we haven't had people from Montana up on the top 10 yet. They're, they're there now. They're there now. Welcome yes. to the top 10. That's what we meant. Yes. Okay. Do you know your Lyme score? If not, do yourself a favor and head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and fill out the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker.
It's free. Thank you, Aurora. And please tell us a little bit more about today's guest author, Catherine Kinlan. Catherine Kinlan is the author of Teacher in Space, One Teacher's Orbit Around the Lunacy of Lyme Disease. After turning 23, Catherine fell ill with symptoms that left her bedridden. After multiple trips to the ER, exhaustive research, and the help of a Lyme disease support group, she was finally diagnosed with Lyme disease. Thanks, Aurora. And here is our interview with author and Lyme ninja, Catherine Kinlan. Did you know you got bit? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, I got bit because I was a historical reenactor. That's what I did for fun. I okay, put on funny clothes. What era? Come on, you got to get into the details Revolutionary here. Revolutionary War. And Revolutionary War. So up in the Northeast, my daughters have done this actually, up at Fort Ticonderoga. Oh yeah. Well, I'm from Jersey, so oh, okay, all cool. of our reenactments were in the tri-state area. Yeah. And surprisingly, I did it for a decade, but yeah. I didn't get bit until was I didn't get bit by a tick until my very last event. Oh and that no! Was in New Jersey. Brutal. Yeah. Go figure. It wasn't just one tick. It was five to ten of them. Yeah. It was five to ten ticks on me, and it was five to ten ticks um my boyfriend so here we are both <laughs> in monmouth county standing in a random diner parking lot to go get some pork roll some good jersey food mm -hmm. and we had to use a hunting knife to get the ticks off of our bodies because it was the only thing that we had oh, wow. um at the time at the time i knew nothing about lyme disease which is kind of upsetting because recently i was actually looking up monmouth county new jersey and I believe it was, they were the second highest county for CDC positive Lyme cases. So <laughs> there I go. <laughs> right. Where were you living at the time? Were you from that area or had you moved away? At the time I was living in Maryland. Um, but I'm from New Jersey, born and raised. Uh, I didn't move from Jersey until I was in my 20s. Surprisingly, um, even though I grew up in the Pine Barrens, no tick cases, just that one time in Monmouth. That's what did me. Um, I didn't get sick right away either, which is the weird part. Mm -hmm. My boyfriend was lucky enough to go get the week's worth of doxycycline. Yeah. But I wasn't. I was I was a college student. I was um, 21, I think. I, I was living off of my school's financial aid, and which isn't much. I spread it out for a long time. It just didn't make sense to me to go spend that money at a walk-in clinic because I was just completely uneducated about Lyme disease. I had no idea. I had this assumption that because it had the word disease in it, that it was something that was totally rare to get. <laughs> it wasn't even a consideration. Not to mention, I didn't even get a bullseye rash, um, and I also did not get any immediate flu-like symptoms or anything like that. And I actually didn't get any symptoms for about two years. Um, in those two-year time frame, I moved down to Florida, which is where I am currently. And I got sick on my 23rd birthday, which is where my book begins. On my 23rd birthday, I thought it was a brilliant idea to do what every 23-year-old should. And I drank about maybe six Bay Breezes, which is a lot for a 100-pound girl. <laughs> That's a lot for anybody. <laughs> I know. 
Not to mention, it's a really sugary drink. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I actually just read something recently that said alcohol depletes vitamin levels. It does, and depending on some of the genetic pathways on the detox end of things, uh, the alcohol into aldehydes, that can back up and also cause problems in the liver and then glutathione, and then your immune system gets a little bit backed up. So you can be vitamin deficient, you can be sleep deprived, you can be, you know, even happy stress is a stress, so you add all these things together and it looks like a, a perfect storm of a trigger for you. <laughs> I... I definitely had a perfect storm after that night, those six bay breezes. It was just one of those nights where you drank so much you can't even, you're not in reality land anymore. You're, you're somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And after that, when I woke up in the morning, my life was just over in a blink of an eye. I mean, I was somebody with no family history of any illnesses or anything like that. And when I woke up just within, just within a day, I mean, you don't lose your ability to walk in one day. You wow. don't wake up with a fever that doesn't go away for a month. You know, you don't. So did you I mean, know? Not to mention, yeah. Did, did you know immediately that it wasn't a hangover? You say, oh, my goodness, this is way more than oh a hangover. Gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was. No, <laughs> it was like I was dying. I yeah. mean, losing your ability to walk was so scary. That was when I realized I had to go to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And of course, I had I had a pretty typical Lyme disease story. I went from ER to ER. I was diagnosed with sciatica. Yeah. Uh, I was diagnosed a lot with kidney infections. Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with STDs that came up negative. A lot of my tests came up negative. I was tested for lupus. Fibromyalgia was brought up, but it didn't seem likely just anything that doctors were throwing at a dartboard were coming up negative. And then doctors down here in Florida gave up on me and I was still having these horrible symptoms. Yeah. I didn't understand why I didn't understand why doctors couldn't look at me and listen to me instead of saying things like, I'm sorry, sweetie, there's nothing else that I can do for you. Right. And it, such a strange thing to have a doctor tell you that for the first time. <laughs> now, did it's they really did they ask you if you had traveled out of the area or anything like that? You know, and looking back, was there anybody who had like a little bit idea that maybe this is like some sort of infectious disease, or did they just completely miss it? Not a single clue. Yeah, like I not said, a clue. The ER diagnosed me with sciatica. Um, many doctors told me multiple times that I had a urinary tract infection yeah. or a kidney infection because I had some slight urinary symptoms. Mm -hmm. I, yep. But I also had joint pain in every single joint in my body. Yeah. Blown up like a balloon. I had hip pain. Um, my menstrual cycle went missing for a year. Nobody could, nobody had a single clue about that. No kidding. <laughs> That's a yeah. amazing symptom. Yeah, it's curious. I'd like to know more about that. Luckily, when I actually found my Lyme doctor here in Florida, he started me on a Chinese herb, and it came back no problem. Good. One year missing, one month normal. That's amazing. Yeah. It's so surprising what a doctor can do when they actually listen to you. Well, yeah, two things, right? A, listen to you, and then B, have an idea of what's going on. I mean, you can have a sympathetic doctor, but if they don't have a clue, then they're just a really nice person, 
right? But if they're sympathetic and they've got some tools in their toolbox and some in their diagnostic toolbox too, then all of a sudden you can begin to make some progress. Now, how, how did you finally get to this Lyme literate doc? The Lyme literate doctor was kind of a process. I didn't realize that I had Lyme disease until, I know this sounds kind of lame, but I used online symptom checkers because I had been to so many doctors that had just given up on me. I didn't know what to do anymore. And the two symptoms that kept on coming up over and over again, um, two things were coming up, Lyme disease and Crohn's disease. Hmm. And... Crohn's disease didn't match my symptoms totally, but for some reason, when I saw the when I saw the word Lyme disease, I looked at my boyfriend and said, "Hey, do you remember all those ticks that bit us when we were in New Jersey?" Uh, and he was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." But there were so many questions then. It was like, "Well, it's been two years. That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Can a disease just pop up later like that?" It it didn't. I didn't know anything about it at the time. Still, so. I had to do more research. I realized that I had to find people who actually had Lyme disease. And I was like, man, where am I going to find other people who have Lyme disease? Um, I went on Facebook and did a little bit of searching. I found nationwide groups that eventually led me to Florida groups. Florida groups led me to my local county group, which actually has grown from about 15 members to the time that I joined to mm-hmm. 30 something members now. Wow. That's, that's a lot. That's a, that's increase. a big group. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're always here for me. And, um, I think everybody should have a support group. Um, somebody on my support group eventually messaged me and said, Hey, this guy is only so much money, which was the most important factor for me. Money always is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm always so broke, but, um, most doctors in the area wanted over a grand or about a grand just to kind of start out. Right. And this doctor who was suggested to me was more affordable than that <laughs> and was spending more time with me than what the other doctors claimed to. So it was kind of a no-brainer. Um, when I went to him, he was pretty surprised at the research that I had done. I came with my cute little star box of medicine, and I showed him that I had started my cat's claw. I started parsley. I think I may have had packets of Alka-Seltzer and gold. I don't know. But this guy was like, you know, you know you've know, you done some research. I'm proud of you. <laughs> yeah, great. That's awesome. Now... I want to spend a little bit of time just going, circling back and talking about the support group, because I think that's so important. I've started a little one in our area, and we're obviously not as uh, densely populated as as places down in Florida. So we've got a core of about five or six of us. And throughout the year, there'll people will come and visit with us and get some support and some information, and then they kind of go off. And sometimes they come back and sometimes, uh, you know, they've gotten what they needed. And, but it, but it's so powerful. And the other thing I want to just say for everybody listening is people will say things in person in the support group that they will not say online or in an email. So if you want to get the skinny about what's going on in your area, go to a support group and people will tell you straight out. But most people are a little bit cautious and they're not going to put that stuff in writing. So it's worth going to a meeting or two. Would you agree with that? 
I say yes and no. I think it depends whether or not the group is online and private. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're very open in our group. I don't think I've noticed anybody holding back anything online or in person. The only thing that somebody might hold back is super personal health stuff that they want to talk to somebody face-to-face with. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in our group haven't been come and go. Only people who are very sick and can't get out of bed. Um, but we're a tight-knit group despite being 30 people. If there's somebody in bed, usually there's multiple people who speak up and say, hey, you want to ride to wherever we're meeting up today? <laughs> but we do have a few people who are incredibly sick in our group, and it breaks my heart. And sometimes they just don't have the energy to make it to the meetup. We're currently trying to make our group, uh, how should I say it? We're trying to make our group more diverse in a sense that we're looking for different places to meet up other than a restaurant. I would like to see us do more outdoor meetups where it's not so overwhelming because our meetups can be pretty lengthy and it gets overwhelming to talk about that much Lyme disease stuff in a such a long time. I mean, we we sit around the table and we'll talk for like four or five hours. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's draining. Yeah. It's actually draining. Sure. Because I've, I've no, like, I love all these people. I love everybody in my group. But when you're talking about your disease for four hours or three hours, it's, it's rough. Like, I get back in the car and it's like, I need to go do something else now. <laughs> I need to go relax and not think about Lyme disease anymore. (laughs) So that brings up an interesting point. What do you do to rejuvenate your spirit these days? A lot, a lot. My book talks a lot about kind of how my past had to burn down and regrow. And right now I'm lucky enough to be in the regrow stage which feels really good. It's good to know that's possible. I hope that no matter what phase of sickness you're in, if you want to call it a phase, that some something better is there at the end somewhere. Um, you know, I feel like if I started out in bed for two years, unable to move on and off, I feel like other people have the same power within them to figure out how to make their story not about Lyme disease. And it was so hard for me. I didn't know how to live with Lyme disease. I had to look outside of my box in order to realize how much was still there despite having a disease. I mean, there's just a world of awesome things out there that you can still do. Even if you can't do other hobbies, like I used to skateboard a lot. Um, I was actually learning how to learn how to surf before I got sick which was a lot easier to do because now I'm really out of breath, which I personally think is Babesia. Yeah, you have some air hunger. That, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Babesia. Um, I've, I know how to pronounce it because my doctor said that he thinks that I have it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's certain activities that I can no longer do because I live in Florida. It's really hot. And when I'm outside, I'll just, I just don't have as much energy and breath as I used to when I was, 23. <laughs> Only a three-year difference, but what a three-year difference it makes. Yeah. But I have learned to replace those things. I still go out on my surfboard, but 
I kind of just lay on it and paddle around, and the ocean water is really healing. I'm glad that I live in Florida. Um, I know that not everybody can just leave everything and move wherever they want. I was so lucky enough to be young and moving down here anyway, but I honestly wouldn't consider moving anywhere else with Lyme disease because the atmosphere and living so close to the beach, I'm within walking distance of the beach. It is a game changer. It's a healer. I spend as much money. I spend as much time as I can outside. I do a lot of writing because obviously that's easy for me to do despite brain fog. Writing is very forgiving of symptoms because you can just sit there and not have to worry about verbally getting words out like I am now. You can just take your time with it. And you kind of got to replace things that you used to do with other things that you can do. Like, I don't care if you're in bed. Maybe you can try reading a book or watching something or painting or... Listening to a podcast. You can do in bed. Yeah, like listening to a podcast, right? <laughs> like listening, listening to this podcast <laughs> and reading my book. <laughs> and reading your book. Of course, reading the book. Yeah. Do you have an audio version of your book? I do not. You, I'm not getting there yet. No. I'm still dragging my bottom on finishing my second book. The reason I ask is I get I get a few emails regularly and people say, you know, I'm so glad that I found this kind of audio forum because I was too sick to read. I just couldn't focus well, my eyes. I understand eyes. that totally. Yeah. I understand and, that totally because I've had times. I, I can count on my fingers. It was twice when I was very sick mm -hmm. and I was actually working and I was looking at these work orders that had numbers and words on them mm -hmm. and they were floating around on the paper. Like it was wow. a magic trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was very strange coming from somebody who's an avid reader and writer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I totally understand that. I think an audio book would be good because I'm all about, helping people and making sure that people have access to information. Um, it might be something that I might want to ask my parents today because they were on radio and they have a much better speaking voice than I do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Def I'm not, definitely. I'm not the best speaker. I had to do public speaking all the time when I worked at the Space Center, but I still get tripped up. <laughs> it's something you need to practice and Radio or reading, actually, reading a book is a whole nother skill set. I'm sure if somebody yeah. put a book in front of me and said, okay, McKay, read, read the book, it would be awful, just awful. <laughs> They're pros who do nothing but that. It's kind of cool. So I, I want to ask, because you, you, you hinted this, and then you danced around it a little bit, and you talked about kind of in, in the dark and that you needed to burn down your life before and then regrow it and really needed to get outside the box. And oftentimes to get outside our own box, we need a little push from somebody or something to give us that little, Oh, moment. And do you remember that moment? I don't think it was a defining moment. I think it was something that built up over time. Hmm. I realized that while I was working at the Space Center as a teacher, I wasn't gaining any traction for myself. And because I wasn't gaining any traction in my health, both physically and mentally, 
I wasn't doing what I loved anymore. I couldn't be there physically and mentally to teach children. And I wasn't just teaching, you know, like a classroom every day. It was, it was doing a service for this nation. It was educating foreigners from all around the world. It was educating all of our children in this country who should be familiar with our country's space history. Children should know who went to the moon and children should know Apollo and the shuttle era and all that good stuff. It's, uh, it's just so important. And the lack of STEM education is horrifying. But I realized that because I couldn't take care of myself due to the stress to work, due to the stress that teachers go under every day, I don't want to tell you how many times I read like a Facebook post about a teacher who commented that she was leaving the field and there would be like a hundred other comments from teachers of Lyme disease who said that they just could not do it. And it's so unfortunate because we need good teachers. These teachers are just being weeded out because uh, it's just so, I hate to say this, but it just depletes your soul entirely. And when that's gone, it's not helping the children and they need help the most. I think, I, I mean, if I had to pick a defining moment, it would be multiple ones, but definitely when I was coming home every day from work shifts, and crying my eyes out in the shower, I realized there was a huge problem. And despite me needing so much, despite me needing money for rent and pills and stuff, it didn't make sense for me to continue with that energy and emotionally draining job. (laughs) So how did you get the courage to leave, to walk away? Oh, it was so heartbreaking. I remember that day so vividly. All the smells of the building that I worked in, all of the simulators we worked with. It was really rough to leave because it was like a home for me. It was. It gave me something to do with Lyme disease. It, it gave me a lot of hope. It gave me passion. It gave me, in a way, it did give me energy because I was doing something good for kids. And I really loved all of the space history. Of course, meeting astronauts every day and working with them is like beyond awesome. <laughs> Out of this world. <laughs> uh, sorry. That's okay. I love it. <laughs> but, um, man, I just remember like I was walking into the building to hand in my clothes and all these dragonflies were buzzing around. I mean, like a cloud of them. It was wow. really awesome. Um, but it was, it was hot. It was the end of summer. Um, I believe... Hurricane Irma is actually coming soon. So we had had foreboding things to come. (laughs) But um, I remember I spent a little time in the building looking back on some memories, handed in my clothes. And when I left, I was looking into the doors of the front of the building, and it was my reflection. Um, And... I realized that I always felt like the entire time I worked there as a teacher, I was always outside looking inside. Mm-hmm. I think that was the best way to describe. If I had to pick one sentence to define my entire onesie space nightmare adventure, whatever you want to call it, it would definitely be on the outside looking from the inside. <laughs> yeah. 
Here's a funny little fact that uh, in some Native American cultures, the dragonfly is a symbol of transformation. I didn't know that. I, I knew about luck, but I like the transformation one a lot better. And let me tell you, it was not an easy transformation. <laughs> the transformation from teacher to no longer teacher was very, very hard on me. Because when I left, I had nothing. I mean, what was I going to do with an English degree? <laughs> it was so depressing for me. I was back in bed for a very long time. Um, it was both mental and physical that kept me in bed. So even though, so let me get this right. So this is important, I think, for people to understand. So you're leaving your job for your health, mental health and physical health, and at the same time, losing yourself, right? The, I'm going to say the grief of losing this position that you had was also a major strain. Absolutely. I was a nobody for a long time because not only was I sick and bad and depressed, I just wasn't feeling well due to Lyme disease, due to mental blocks and uh, I've heard that you have to be a nobody for a while to become a somebody sometimes. <laughs> and it's not necessarily, yeah, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be a nobody. It's not a bad thing if you have to be in bed for a little bit. It's not a bad thing if you're in pain. It's not a bad thing if you're depressed. You're allowed to have days like that. I think a lot of my philosophies that I mentioned throughout my book stem a lot from Buddhism. Um, I do talk about where that stemmed from. I visited a Buddhist temple in New York, actually, the Chanyan Temple, uh, Carmel, New York. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful temple, and I actually visited it before I got sick with Lyme disease. So I was equipped with some enlightening words before I got sick. And throughout my sickness, I was kind of applying these stories throughout figuring out how to live life with Lyme disease. For example, in the very beginning of my book, there is a lesson that I call the farmer and the snake. I don't want to talk too much about it, but the, long, the gist of it is a farmer gets bit by a snake, and it's a poisonous snake, and he's going to die. He's not going to make it. He has a choice to either be happy for the few seconds that he has left to live, or he can just be in total turmoil and spend the last seconds of his life feeling miserable. Yeah. And while my situation wasn't necessarily dying and bit by a poisonous snake, I had been bitten by five to ten ticks, and my suffering was going to be a long time. My suffering was not going to be as instantaneous as a poisonous snake as a poisonous snake bite. So I kind of had to sit down for a long time and think about if this is going to be a long time, how do I want to live that long time? Uh, there's a lot of lessons that are about building yourself over again. And that's healthy. It's kind of fun to remake yourself with Lyme disease. I look back at who I was when I was 21 before I got sick with Lyme disease when I was 23 I'm 26 now, but I look back at youth and I wonder 
if I really want those things again. I mean, I ask myself, what made the old Katie any better than the Katie who I am today? And I realized not much. I mean, did I really want... Did I really want youthful foolishness back? Did I really want drinking for fun? Not that I was like an alcoholic or anything, but my point is is that there wasn't really anything that great that I feel like that I'm really missing out on. (laughs) I have grown to love who I am with Lyme disease, and I think that everybody else has the opportunity to figure out how to love who they are today despite your pain, forget about that. But the pain isn't who you are. <laughs> yeah, you bring up some very, very profound points, and they seem so obvious on this side of things. And it can take... you're in the box. Yeah, exactly. When you're in the box, no. It can take a while. Not, not until you get out of the box. Yeah. <laughs> So, and I feel like everybody everybody has to go through the burning down your path, de- dealing with the barrenness, which is basically, <laughs> the barrenness was when I was, um, when I quit the Space Center, that was my barren path, basically. That was that phase. You finally let let everything go. Yeah, and in return, I was left with nothing, basically. Right. So you're left with nothing. You're depressed. You're not feeling good. You're spending time in bed. What got you back out of bed? Well, I had to go through a lot of pain that I would not like to talk about on radio, but Mm -hmm. I would tell people if they asked me in person. I will say that suicide played a big role in my life for maybe three months. Um, it was very hard and I thought about the only thing that I really did have with me was my family and, you know, my other half, my boyfriend. And I, of course I couldn't do something like that because of them, but suicide was a very real thing in my life for several months. And I did not get better until when I finally recommended to my boyfriend, he goes to the local community college to ask about getting a degree in aerospace technology. And it was so funny. He wanted me to go to the school because he wanted me to come with him to make sure he knew what questions to ask, stuff like that. I've, I've already done the community college route, so I would go there to help him. And all of a sudden, I walk into this advisor's office for the aerospace technician degree. And I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, I see 3D printed tools. I see just a little little sprinkles of the space industry here and there. And I look at the wall that we're sitting by, and I say, hey, oh, that's a really cute cube satellite. It's a little, it's a little satellite that the students made sent up. I don't know the details, but it was just... It felt like home again. It reminded me so much of the Space Center. Needless to say, both my boyfriend and I walked out with the program forms and whatnot. And I was on that gung-ho. I went from English major to I want to turn tools on a rocket. (laughs) Just like that. I didn't even plan on it. But it actually turned into one of the best things that I've done in my life so far. It wasn't easy either because 
I had wanted to be a teacher in the public school system for over a decade. My heart was so set on teaching. And after I realized that teaching wouldn't be a feasible thing with Lyme disease, um, it, it was really tough for me to figure out another career choice, which is why when I quit the Space Center, I was in bed for so long because it felt like I lost my passion. I lost what I wanted to do with my life. I figured, why was I put on this earth to teach children if I couldn't do it anymore? And being able to have the courage to grow, being able to just have the courage to say, you know, even with Lyme disease, I'm going to try going back to school. I had been holding back on school. And even before we went to the school to visit the advisor, my boyfriend said to me, you know, why are you telling me to go back to school? It's been five years since you got your AA degree. When, you know, what are you doing? And I always got kind of frustrated on him. And I met him with so much resentment. And I, I met him. I was like a brick wall. And I kept on saying, no, I'm too sick. I'm too scared. I, I you know, what if I go back to school and I'm horribly ill like I was the first year? Because I actually did try going back to school my first year of being sick with Lyme disease. Unfortunately, I was so in and out of the ER and completely debilitated that when you can't walk, drive, or function and you have a fever, yeah, I had to drop out. So it remained that way for about three years. And going back to school for me was a big question mark. I was, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But for once, you know, after working at the Space Center, I learned so much about my Lyme disease and I learned so much more about myself that I kind of didn't care what happened anymore. I didn't care about my Lyme disease. I wasn't going to let that step in the way of finding another passion or a hobby or career. I wanted that. I wanted that so badly. And it gave me the energy to get back out of bed. Going back to school wasn't easy. I'm not going to say that I didn't have nights where I felt totally deathly ill while I'm working like a press drill or something. <laughs> By the way, I don't recommend that if you're really sick, but <laughs> going back to school gave me so much more power over my Lyme disease. It's an amazing story. When when did you start writing your book? Oh, Ooh, well, that's a good question. I started writing my book in the middle of my Space Center career. So okay. one year into working at the Space Center, and I met these awesome girls from Dubai. Um, these girls were there for an international camp over the weekend mm -hmm. and they were brilliant. I mean, they were just everything that a girl should be. They were curious. They were super smart. They were into the science, technology, math, all that good stuff. And they just had so much energy and they wanted to share it with us. They wanted to share that energy with me as a teacher because they wanted to learn from me. Mm -hmm. And at one point in the program, near the end of it, we were taking pictures together. We were sharing their, they were sharing their snacks with me and stuff. And all of a sudden, one of them goes, hey, you should write a book about us. Yeah, book. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, they're not wrong. Oh, I should write a book. <laughs> it turned out not to be a book about them. Mm -hmm. but in my book, I do have a 
chapter dedicated to them called The Girls from Dubai. Um, my book is dedicated for the, for the girls from Dubai. And I, I wish every single day that I got one of their contact information mm. because I feel like it would make them happy for the rest of their life to know that they had such an impact on me and they had such an impact on my mentality about Lyme disease because all these, all these kids, they were children. I mean, they were teenagers, but to me, they were still children. And they shared so much enthusiasm with me. They were so quick to jump over the language barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they shared so much positivity with me. They shared so much unity. Whatever that made them excited was making them so special. You know, those young people made me feel young again. Even though I felt like I was 95 years old with Lyme disease, I realized I was still 25. Yeah. And, you know, at 25, I know that a lot of people with Lyme disease are older too, but you still have a life. You still have a chance. I know that Lyme disease gives you brain fog and a whole bunch of horrible things because, trust me, when I worked at the Space Center, I had the worst brain fog. And forgetting a word like jet fuel when you're deep in a presentation, you have 20 adults and 30 children looking at you. If you forget a word for 10 seconds and look in the space, it's not a good day. It's just not because you have all of this NASA attire on you. And they're looking up to you to provide this information for them. It's not so much to children that get concerned about you children don't care if you're sick or not as long as you love them and give them the attention that they need mm-hmm. it was the adults who start to get tilting their heads and looking at me yeah and i know as a, i know as another adult that they are looking at me and yep. trying to figure out what what's wrong yeah of course yeah yeah but children do not show this unless they have been exposed to disease personally whether it's from them or somebody who they know. But anyway, these girls from Dubai who I worked with just inspired me so much that they made me realize that even with all of my problems and symptoms, I still have a beating heart. I still have a soul. I obviously still had goals and passion and accomplishments that I wanted to get done. Even if I didn't know what they were, I still realized that I had a lot of time to figure out how to gain those things, how to change things. Whatever I had to do to figure out how to have access to those things again. It wasn't easy, especially in today's society. Um, sometimes I feel like society is very shut and closed to people who have a chronic illness in more than one way. But if you look hard enough and if you don't give up, you eventually start creating your own society when you're sick. Um, once again, that comes in, that comes, that ties in with finding a support group and figuring out what you want to surround your life with. Like if you can get out of bed, go do stuff that you enjoy. If you can manage to walk around, go for a walk, just enjoy the outside. One of my favorite things to do, all you have to do is step out your front door if it's a clear night. You can look at the stars. I mean, when's the last time you, like, just stared at the stars for a while? It makes you forget about yourself. I feel like forgetting about yourself is one of the most important things to do with disease. 
It is. And at the heart of, I've interviewed many people who've gone through the gauntlet, the eye of the needle, whatever, the transformation, whatever you want to call it. And it's not that their symptoms are magically gone, but you said something earlier. You, you, you become the author of your story. You become the main character of the story. And it's not Lyme disease anymore. It's not your doctors anymore, or it's not some protocol anymore. It's you. And you're the hero. And you're on the hero's journey. That doesn't mean the journey's over, but it shifts everything. It changes. Nothing's changed and everything's changed all at the same time. And I think you, you say that so beautifully. Now, one, one last question before we begin to wrap up, because uh, we've been talking not quite an hour, but we're going on close now. You're writing a second book. That's incredible. It's like I haven't written my first book yet, and you're already on to number two. So what's the second one about? My second one is a follow-up. Um, my first book leaves off with me leaving the Space Center, because when I finished my book, that's where I was at the time of my life. My second book is, how should I say this? My first book is hard to read. Um, I won't lie. I Why? Why is it hard to read? Many, oh, I can't tell you how much pain and how many times I cried and cried reading my book. And not to give too much away, not that it's you know a fantasy book or anything that's super exciting, but it does end on a little bit of a bittersweet, unresolved note. Um, it's, it's not a happy book. It's not something that you're going to read and feel fuzzy about. I mean, there are moments in it where children are funny and things happen that are, that have a dark edge of humor on it almost, but it's a book that has a lot of pain in it because I knew that I had to share my pain that I learned the hard way so that other people wouldn't have to make the same mistakes and the same very painful mistakes. <laughs> I I don't want people to do that to themselves. So that's your that's your big wish for people. And the yeah. other, you know the other the thing reason, the reason why I wrote this book is because the reason I wrote this book is because I just do not want anybody to suffer like I did. Yeah. Granted, sometimes you do have to figure it out the hard way. But some of the things that I went through, such as continuing to eat gluten throughout my work shifts because it was the only thing there was to eat. Yeah, big no-no. That's, that's, that's an easy one to tell other people not to do. <laughs> But um, my second book picks up with me going back to school, and it is called Launch Lime. It is about my experience going to school as an aerospace technician. It's going to be about girls kicking butt, girls kicking Lyme disease butt, going from English major to figuring out how to work a press drill on a saw and cutting fluid and struggling over how to figure out how to make a metal pan. <laughs> um, yeah. And, awesome. you know, this class that I took last semester was until 10 o'clock at night. And I was working full time. So I would work nine to five. And then I would go right to school after that until 10 o'clock at night for three days a week. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Long days. Yeah. And that's really hard for somebody to do with Lyme disease, especially. 
but my second book is going to be my comeback book. It's going to be, it's going to be a book that is, if I can do this, anybody can. Awesome. And will you come back and talk with us when it gets published? Of course. <laughs> Beautiful. So if people are interested in finding out more about you, Catherine, and your book. What, where can they go on the internet to find out more? Yep. Well, I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram. And my website is com. I'm sure you guys will post more about it as well. We will on the show notes, absolutely. So if you go to Catherine Stasia, and that's S-T-A-S-I-A, Kinlin, K-I-N-L-I-N, dot com, pretty much everything is there. The book, the information about your blog, things like that. Yep, I have a blog that I update sometimes. That is a continuous thing, so I still post some good information. If I learn anything or have any new mental breakthroughs, I still post there as often as I can. I'm back to working full-time again, so I don't have as much fun time to write as I would like to. But when I do write on my blog, I make sure that it's something that hopefully will change you in a better way. Well, that's good news and good news. It's good news that you're feeling good enough to go back to work full time. That's awesome. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> I'm kind of getting scared because school's starting back up again this semester. Oh, uh, you got layers. I actually school yeah, on top of that, huh? And, yeah, and what's really interesting is that I just got a NASA scholarship. It's actually kind of cool. It's specifically a community college, aerospace scholarship so it's a it's aiming towards a smaller group of people (laughs) but um so i'm working full-time and i'm doing this scholarship which is an online class for nasa and hope hoping that there's no hurricanes that are going to try to knock down my house again let's hope that that is that hmm I'm I'm slurring my words now. Let's hope that that doesn't happen. No hurricanes. I think we all get a line behind that. Yeah. If you want somebody to ever come on and talk about how to survive a hurricane with Lyme disease, I think I'm well certified in that after going through two of them. <laughs> that's a specialized skill. That you should post about for all the people oh, on the that's East a Coast. Good idea. Yeah, that'd be a great post. Thank you. No, that's actually a great idea. <laughs> Catherine, you've been very, very generous with your time. Thank you so, so much. And uh, it's it's been just a, a joy speaking with you and hearing about your story and what inspired you to write this amazing book. And I want to give you the last word. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm so glad that I've had the opportunity to talk to hopefully more people who I have been. I'm trying to reach out to as many people as possible. I've tried to set my book as at an affordable price. I don't want anybody to have to look in their wallet and cry over a book that they can't afford. I wanted to try to make this accessible to as many people as possible. I really hope that I have the energy to go on so that, you know, here I am talking about myself on this show, but it's not about myself. My book is about myself, but it's not about myself. It's about everybody else who's going through this, too. 
when I got sick, I realized that it wasn't just me. I realized that it was thousands and thousands of people. And no matter how alone you feel, you have to take a moment to realize that even if you do feel lonely, you're not, you're not alone. If you ever want to reach out on me on Facebook or you can sign up for my email through my website, I will be able to see your email. If you want to get in contact with me just to have a friend or figure out any kind of information, I am not a doctor and cannot give you medical information, but if you ever need a friend to understand or if you want somebody to talk to, I will always be there. Awesome. Catherine, thanks so much. This was a really interesting interview. There was one thing that she said that kind of stuck with me towards the beginning. And she was when she was talking about how she figured out she had Lyme disease. And she said, it's lame, but she took an online symptom checker. And not to be, like, defensive of online symptom trackers or anything like that. We kind of have one of those. We do kind of have one of those. And I don't think there's anything to be embarrassed about there. It's- you know, there was a headline recently about a lot of the big tech companies and individuals. Gates was one of them. And I think Zuckerberg. They're pulling their resources to see if they can't create a breakthrough in medicine. Mm-hmm. And part of that will be information about different diseases. So a doctor is taught to go for the obvious, right? Don't look for a zebra in a herd of horses. They're given that sort of advice. But every once in a while, you it's a zebra, a zebra. <laughs> in the herd of horses. And Lyme disease is one of those zebras. So the thing about an online tool, and especially as it gets more into artificial intelligence, is without prejudice, without you know that sort of thing, uh, the human error built in, the human prejudice, these algorithms will be able to search through a massive, massive database of symptoms, much more than an individual can hold in their mind, and spit out possibilities. Now, we don't want to have everything controlled by robots, So probably won't give a definitive answer, but it'll give a list. And if it gives you a list of 20 things, Lyme disease will be on that list. You can go down the list and say, well, it's not lupus. It's not MS. It's not brain cancer. It's not brain cancer. (laughs) right? It's not rheumatoid arthritis. We're getting down the list. Instead of them saying, oh, it can't be Lyme disease because we don't have Lyme here, the computer will say, well, have you checked for Lyme disease yet? I think it's a good thing. And these online symptom checkers and trackers are just the first little tiny bit of artificial intelligence that's out there. Hey, it's a tool. You got a tool and it works. Use it. We're glad it helped. Yeah. If, If you like what we're doing, speaking of that, we are in the process of looking at getting bids to turn the symptom tracker into a much more usable mobile phone app. And we'll keep you posted on that as it develops. Yeah, we're hearing some pretty cool things. I'm pretty exciting, right? It will be a way for you to keep track of that information easily, see it in a graphical form, and print it out and share it, email it with people that you need to share it with. It will be really, really cool. All right. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, just subscribe to the podcast and use the app that you're listening to us right now. Just somewhere on the bottom, probably there's a subscribe button. Just hit that. 
And if you really like what we're doing, give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. And you can do that right on your podcast app. There's an app for that. And if you really, really like what we're doing, I'd appreciate if you donated $1 a month through Patreon to become a patron here at Lime Ninja Radio. Yes, for just $1, you can help us make the world a better place for people with tick-borne diseases. You can head on over to our new homepage, www.limeninjaradio.com, and look for the patron link under the How Can We Help You headline. Yes, thank you, Aurora, and a big shout-out to our newest patrons, Caleb and Gemma. Thank you for making the world a better place for people with Lyme and other tick-borne diseases. And last, as you longtime Lyme ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lyme Ninja Fact of the Day. Did you know ninjas pour the milk first, then they pour the cereal? And then they get the bowl. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.